This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Consider the following. After a fractious election cycle, a defeated yet dangerous demagogue spews lies about election fraud. He urges his supporters to reject reality, inciting them to commit a violent attack on government buildings just a few days into the start of the new year. The shocking images of the insurrection are then broadcast all over the world. A stark example of how even the strongest democracies can falter when they are pushed to their limit. If you're listening to this and wondering which insurrection is he referring to, uh, then I've made my point. The similarities between the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol and its Brazilian sequel on January 8th of this year reminds us that we must stand vigilant against anyone, anywhere, who corrodes democratic norms, even when those attacks come from the highest levels of government. For just as we know who was responsible for instigating the attacks on the very institution in which we hold this hearing, we know that former President Jair Bolsonaro, through his lies and disinformation, fomented the attacks on Brazil's democracy. Democracies are resilient only as long as we reinforce their resiliency. We must look inward, commit to our own democratic values, and continue to stand with democratic movements and institutions throughout the world. Which brings us to today's hearing. Despite the painful bond of these horrific attacks, the United States and Brazil have a unique opportunity for renewed cooperation. From addressing democratic challenges to protecting the environment to the regional migration crisis, we must succeed together or we will fail apart. On the environment, in the span of about two years while Bolsonaro was in charge, human development ravaged more than 34,000 square miles of Brazil's Amazon rainforest an area roughly the size of South Carolina. The astronomical damage inflicted lasting harm to the ecosystem, to biodiversity, and to our efforts to combat global climate change. Without drastic measures to reverse Bolsonaro's actions, the lungs of the Earth could become a net emitter, preventing us from addressing catastrophic climate change. Make no mistake, Brazilians are fighting for the Amazon. But under Bolsonaro, that proved hazardous in and of itself, particularly for indigenous populations. In 2021 alone, invasions of and attacks on indigenous communities increased nearly threefold to more than 300 documented cases. That same year, 176 indigenous people were murdered for their activism to protect their homeland, the highest numbers ever recorded. Brazil under Bolsonaro was one of the deadliest places for environmental defenders in the world, which is why I'm heartened that President Lula has made restarting Amazon conservation and protecting environmental defenders a top priority. And the United States stands ready to support these steps. Last Congress, I introduced the bipartisan Amazon 21 Act, crucial legislation that rewards both conservation goals and economic competitiveness. Addressing climate change while promoting positive economic growth are not mutually exclusive, and I look forward to once again engaging in that effort this Congress. After all, it's only by working with our partners, particularly those in our own hemisphere, that we can combat climate change, mitigate damage to the ecosystem, protect environmental defenders, and spur economic growth. Protecting environmental defenders is about much more than just the Amazon. Organized civil society, and the ability of citizens to hold their government accountable are bedrocks 
of functioning democracy. Given Brazil's important economic and geostrategic role, we must be partners as we address democratic backsliding across the Americas. We must defend democracy when it is under attack around the world. In Havana, Miguel Diaz-Canal continues to lock up hundreds of protesters. In Caracas, the Maduro regime is under investigation for crimes against humanity. And in Managua, UN experts have said that Daniel Ortega's reign of terror has perpetuated, quote, Nazi-style crimes, end of quote. These human rights abuses and the migratory outflows that stem from citizens fleeing these countries demand our full attention and cooperation. It also means that our countries must stand shoulder to shoulder with the people of Ukraine in the face of Putin's unjustified war. The time is now for a U.S.-Brazilian partnership that leads the way on environmental, economic, and democratic issues. Next month, I look forward to leading a Codel to Brazil, where we will solidify these ties as we hopefully meet with President Lula and the senior members of his government. We look forward to that now. Let me turn to the ranking member, Senator Rich, for his remarks. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. The United States has an enduring interest uh, in our a prosperous, democratic, and stable Western Hemisphere. Strong relations with Brazil are important to attain these goals. Next year, we will celebrate 200 years of diplomatic relations. The administration should seize this moment with a bold bilateral agenda. Such an agenda should include deepening our security and commercial relations, working with Brazil against malign state and non-state influences, and encouraging Brazilian support for the Organization of American States. Like other emerging economies in Latin America, Brazilians have benefited enormously from the international norms and institutions which were created, led by us, at the end of World War II. These norms and institutions have helped Brazil become a top destination for U.S. foreign direct investments, which are crucial to the stability and prosperity of the country. At the same time, Brazil has drawn increasing attention from malign foreign influences such as China, Russia, and Iran. The Brazilian people should ensure their sovereignty and freedoms are not compromised by these malign actors. There is deep concern about President de Silva's recent decision to welcome two sanctioned Iranian warships into Brazilian ports. More importantly, President Biden should have canceled this meeting with President de Silva. I'm disturbed by reports that the president instead just asked them to move the port visit until after their meeting. I was also disappointed President de Silva turned down Germany's request for ammunition uh, Ukraine needs to defend its sovereign territory against the unprovoked Russian invasion and occupation. We should also remember that while the title of this hearing focuses on Brazil, there are many other challenges in the Western Hemisphere. The illegal immigration and illicit narcotics trafficking crisis at our southwest border are relentless. The administration's response is to waste taxpayers' money abroad and weaken enforcement of immigration laws at home. Venezuela is an unabated disaster. Last week marked one year since Ambassador Story and White House officials sat down with Maduro to find accommodation with the regime. The results have uh, included pardoned corrupt criminals, uh, division among democratic forces, and legitimacy for Maduro, but no progress on restoring democracy in that country. Colombia, for the first time in two decades, has failed to eradicate a single hectare of coca. coca. Seizures of heroin and cocaine have dramatically fallen while their production has increased. Haiti has no constitutional government, faces growing levels of violence, and is the epicenter of a migration crisis overwhelming communities in Florida. The administration's response is to wait for Canada to take the lead. 
I look forward to hearing from Ambassador Nichols on the administration's approach to these issues and our relations with Brazil more broadly. Uh, thank you to the witnesses, and thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Richelieu. Let me turn to uh, our witnesses. It's an honor to introduce Assistant Secretary Brian Nichols, heads of the, heads the Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs at the Department of State. Assistant Secretary Nichols previously served as U.S. Ambassador to Zimbabwe and Peru, as well as Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for International Narcotics and Law Enforcement. We look forward to hearing from you today. We're also joined by Deputy Special Envoy for Climate, Richard Duke. Mr. Duke previously served as Special Assistant to President Obama and Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Department of Energy. He has also worked at NRDC, McKinsey, and Brookings. So welcome to you both. Your full statements will be included in the record without objection. I'd ask you to try to summarize your statements in about five minutes or so, so the members of the committee can have a conversation with you. And before I ask you to start, Secretary Nichols, let me offer a warm welcome to the Brazilian Charge de Affairs, Bernardo Veloso. Thank, thank you for joining us as well. With that, Mr. Secretary, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to discuss our relationship with Brazil. As the world's seventh most populous country and 12th largest economy, Brazil is a global actor and strategic partner with whom we work closely to advance shared priorities. President Biden and President Lula reaffirmed our vital and enduring partnership during their February 10th meeting at the White House. Nine cabinet officials joined the presidents, reflecting the breadth and depth of our bilateral relations. The two presidents agreed that strengthening democracy, protecting human rights, and addressing the climate crisis would anchor our shared agenda. The troubling events in Brasilia on January 8th highlighted the threats that polarization and misinformation pose even for established democracies. President Biden, Secretary Blinken, and I quickly and forcefully condemned that day's violent attacks. In their February 10th meeting, both presidents condemned political extremism and violence, hate speech, and disinformation. They agreed to work together to address these challenges, including through this month's second Summit for Democracy. The United States and Brazil will continue working together to advance human rights at home and abroad. President Biden and President Lula committed to reinvigorate the U.S.-Brazil Joint Action Plan to eliminate racial and ethnic discrimination and promote equality, known as JAPER, to promote the human rights and well-being of marginalized racial and ethnic communities, including indigenous people and people of African descent in both countries. We anticipate productive conversations on these subjects during the upcoming human rights dialogue and technical level meetings on JAPER. Home to 30% of the world's tropical rainforest, Brazil plays a vital role in addressing the climate crisis. The Biden-Harris administration stands ready to support President Lula's commitments to advance environmental protection and sustainable development. President Biden and President Lula intend to work together to enhance global food security. Brazil's status as the world's largest agricultural net exporter and one of the largest fertilizer importers makes it an important partner in our efforts to address food security challenges we now face. Both our governments are interested in expanding trade and investment and developing supply chain resiliency. The United States is by far Brazil's largest foreign investor, and Brazil represents a top export market for the United States, receiving nearly $47 billion in U.S. goods in 2021. 
U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Catherine Tai's trip earlier this month reinforced our desire to grow bilateral trade in line with our shared values. Under Secretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment, Jose Fernandez, will similarly engage with Brazilian government officials and private sector leaders later this month to discuss trade, critical minerals, agriculture, and clean energy. We work closely with Brazil in multilateral fora, including in the United Nations Security Council, where Brazil serves as an elected member through the end of 2023. We expect Brazil will remain a committed leader in the UN on humanitarian issues, peacekeeping operations, and efforts to promote international peace and security. Brazil will also serve as G20 president in 2024. We know we must work diligently to keep the relationship strong and pull together on tough issues facing the world. President Lula places an emphasis on South-South cooperation and seeks to position Brazil as a leading voice for peace, including in Ukraine. The Russian Federation is solely responsible for the war in Ukraine. However, we welcome all genuine efforts to secure a comprehensive, just, and lasting peace in Ukraine based on the UN Charter's principles. Brazil voted in favor of the February 23rd UN General Assembly resolution demanding Russia's immediate withdrawal from Ukraine, and we look forward to continued cooperation to address the dire human rights and humanitarian consequences of Russia's war. We understand our countries will not always see eye to eye, and Brazil, as a sovereign nation, makes its own foreign policy decisions. We conveyed our consternation that Brazil recently hosted two Iranian naval vessels beginning February 28th, emphasizing the Iranian regime's brutal suppression of its own people, provision of weapons to Russia, and destabilizing activities around the world. We will continue to engage with our Brazilian partners to discourage cooperation with malign actors, including Iran. In conclusion, the Biden-Harris administration is committed to working diligently to ensure U.S.-Brazilian relations remain strong and productive for the benefit of U.S. citizens, the Brazilian people, and the world. Next year, we will celebrate 200 years of bilateral relations, and we are confident that our partnership will continue to thrive for many generations to come. Thank you, Mr. Duke. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, thank you for the opportunity today to provide more detail about our engagement with Brazil on climate issues. Assistant Secretary Nichols already outlined the global importance of Brazil in the range of our strategic cooperation. I will focus on how cooperation on climate change fits within these strategic priorities. In addition to being the world's seventh most populous country, Brazil is the sixth largest emitter of greenhouse gases globally. Due to its abundant hydropower resources, renewable power supplies nearly four-fifths of its electricity. and It has a clean energy economy, relatively speaking, already. As the world's third largest exporter of agricultural products, Brazil has significant agricultural-related emissions but the largest source of emissions comes from the loss of forests and other carbon-rich ecosystems. The Amazon rainforest plays a critical role in the regulation of global climate, not to mention its importance for the millions of people that live within the region and the unique biodiversity found only in this biome. It covers almost 2.8 million square miles and stores over 120 billion metric tons of carbon, equivalent to more than a decade of global energy sector emissions. 60% of the Amazon rainforest falls within Brazil's territory. This land and its resources are unquestionably Brazilian. 
but the risks posed by Amazon forest loss have global implications. Deforestation rates in the Brazilian Amazon have soared over the past four years as speculators cleared forests to, to claim land, ranchers expanded pasture, and illegal loggers and miners encroached into protected areas and indigenous territories. Scientists fear that the Amazon rainforest is nearing a tipping point where natural tree die-off accelerates and the Amazon no longer naturally regenerates, turning it into a net source of emissions. The implications would be catastrophic for the climate, also catastrophic for agricultural, produ uh, agricultural production and global food security, which depends on rainfall patterns regulated by the Amazon. It would affect the livelihoods of more than 25 million people who live in the Brazilian Amazon, including hundreds of thousands of indigenous peoples who have conserved the forest for millennia. It would also cause an unprecedented loss of biodiversity. Any successful conservation approach must create value for healthy ecosystems so that people who depend on them benefit from standing forests more so than from deforestation. On February 10th in Washington, Presidents Biden and Lula instructed the U.S.-Brazil Climate Change Working Group to reconvene promptly. During his recent trip to Brazil, Special Presidential Envoy for Climate John Kerry and Minister of Environment and Climate Marina Silva identified key areas for engagement, focusing on deforestation, the bioeconomy, low emissions agriculture, as well as clean energy and resilience. The truth is we cannot fail. We cannot fail because of Brazil's importance for the global climate, food security, and biodiversity, but we also cannot fail because of the importance of our strategic partnership with Brazil. The United States has worked for decades to create a closer relationship with Brazil. This eroded over the last few years, and at the same time, the role of the PRC has been in ascendance. The People's Republic of China is currently Brazil's largest trade partner and the largest market for many Brazilian commodities. It is also the largest investor in infrastructure projects in Brazil. And the PRC has invested in building strong relationships with Brazilian legislators and other leaders. There's a strong pro-China constituency in the country, but the Lula administration is committed to a close working relationship with the United States across a range of issues. The United States is the second largest trading partner and the largest source of foreign direct investment in Brazil. And Brazil has a strong cultural affinity with the United States, creating opportunities for closer political ties. To achieve this, we need to ensure that funding flows to support Brazil's priorities, conserving forests, building a strong bioeconomy, and transitioning to productive and low emission agriculture and clean energy. We also have the opportunity to work with a range of partners, government, private sector, multilateral and philanthropic, to bring support for Brazil's forests and climate efforts. We see the Amazon Fund with its results-based approach and mobilizing private sector investment for Brazil's deforestation as key. This is a must-succeed year for the Amazon and for Brazil. Brazil has asked us to step up and be a strategic partner in their efforts. This is a request we cannot ignore for the climate, for the people of Brazil, and for the future of one of the world's largest democracies. Thank you again for the opportunity to testify today. Well, thank you both for your testimony. We'll start a round of uh, five-minute uh, questioning. Uh, as Brazil's institutions were under attack, uh, person responsible for instigating these attacks was on vacation in Florida. Uh, former President Bolsonaro has been in the United States since December. He's requesting a six-month tourist visa to extend his stay. At the same time, he continues to spew disinformation about Brazil's elections. 
And I, I raise the question, what does it say if the United States is to provide safe haven to a foreign official responsible for seeking to undermine democracy and free and fair elections abroad? Uh, Assistant Secretary Nichols, um, is the Biden administration committed to swiftly reviewing any extradition requests for uh, Mr. Bolsonaro? It's a longstanding policy not to um, comment on extradition matters. Um, certainly, uh, we have a strong relationship with Brazil and will handle any uh, requests that we receive from the Brazilian government expeditiously. Okay. Yeah, I didn't ask you how you're going to decide. I asked you whether you're, uh, the administration is committed to doing it expeditiously because of my understanding is that the Lula government suggested uh, they would like to see his return to Brazil by the end of March. So uh, do, do, do we have an extradition request pending? Sorry, but we uh, don't comment on whether or not countries have submitted extradition requests, but if such a request were received, we would handle it expeditiously uh, in accordance with law. We don't ever comment as to whether even a request exists? Uh, yes, Mr. Chairman. Well, we have to think about changing that uh, because it seems to me that it's difficult to make public policy if you don't know what are at least the facts that are pending uh, before uh, the government. Uh, a key driver of deforestation in the Amazon is extractive industry and agricultural activities backed by Chinese state-owned corporations. Economic pressure to convert the Amazon is tremendous, which is why the legislation that I introduced aims to establish market-based values for forest conservation and offer assistance based on the achievement of conservation results. How important is it for the United States to help generate economic value for conserving the Amazon, uh, Mr. Duke? Mr. Chairman, thank you for the question. We share your concern about illegal activities in the Amazon and indeed in global forest basins as a driver of deforestation and would note that deforestation globally is one of the main causes of climate change and we simply have to address it for biodiversity reasons and to tackle climate change properly. Part of that is making sure that we build on measures like the Lacey Act that has helped to uh, ensure that we have ways to enforce against illegally harvested wood. And I'll note that we have engaged in the U.S.-China-Glasgow Declaration with China on that issue, pushing them to enforce their own laws about illegally traded uh, wood products from uh, the Amazon or other regions. And we will continue to work on this agenda and welcome the legislative proposals that you've put forward. Mm -hmm. I appreciate enforcing laws to not violate uh, certain laws, whether they be in Brazil or here. But the question is, uh, do we not need to establish some type of market-based values for achievement of conservation results? I mean, uh, part of the challenge here is an economic one, right? So don't we want to find uh, some market-based values so that we can ultimately help countries uh, do what is in everybody's interest? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We agree that it's crucial to support countries like Brazil that seek to end deforestation 
and uh, to create economic opportunities for uh, government of Brazil and for the people that live in the Amazon region of Brazil uh, instead of illegal activities like mining and deforestation. How do we and best so, do that? So we uh, welcome the opportunity to work with uh, Congress on um, legislative approaches that properly resource uh, that sort of um, uh, support. And we are eager to also look to uh, other countries, to philanthropy and to the private sector, including through carbon markets, such as uh, jurisdictional approaches to reducing deforestation in order to support that objective that we very much share with you. All right, well, I, I think we need some robust, uh, uh, I, I love the private sector and I love you know, private conservation efforts, but I'm not sure we're gonna save the Amazon that way. Um, finally, um, as the largest democracy in the region, uh, Mr. Secretary Nichols, I, I strongly believe that Brazil has a responsibility to proactively engage and help ensure accountability where we see it, not by my remarks, but by UN remarks in the hemisphere about what's happening in Nicaragua and Venezuela, for example. In the past, President Lula has been reluctant to do so. I hope he understands the critical role that Brazil can and should play in upholding regional democratic values. Um, what's your assessment of uh, this term now, President Lula's willingness to play a role in addressing human rights challenges in the region, especially in Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, the uh, presidents during their February 10th meeting discussed the importance of defense uh, for democracy on a global level uh, during their meeting and uh, uh, recalled the threats that both of our countries had faced. Uh, the uh, administration will vigorously engage Brazil uh, on issues of democracy in our hemisphere and we look forward to cooperating with them across various multilateral fora. We're pleased that uh, Brazil has voted with us on issues like uh, condemning Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine in the UN General Assembly. Uh, and we note the uh, interest that uh, President Lula has shown in helping to address the challenges to democracy uh, in this hemisphere, uh, particularly noting his interest uh, in uh, neighboring Venezuela. Okay, Senator Risch. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> the uh, fact that there's no comment on extraditions is news to me. I don't know if you've heard about that before, but uh, uh, it seems to me there's robust discussion of that uh, regularly in the, in the media, so I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. And I, and I can understand where there would be occasions where people would want to keep have confidentiality or something, but as a blanket policy, that seems to me to be uh, not appropriate. We maybe ought to get a formal response, uh, what, where that's written down or something. Um, uh, Ambassador, uh, Ambassador Nichols, I, the first thing I want to ask about is the two U.S. sanctioned Iranian warships uh, that have docked, uh, uh, that were docked in Brazil. What are you going to do about that? Uh, we've shared, uh, well, first of all, they have no place in our hemisphere. Uh, the Iranians should not be um, here. They have a horrific record on human rights. Um, they support Putin's illegal war in Ukraine. Uh, we've raised the uh, concerns about their presence with all of the governments 
in the hemisphere. Uh, and uh, the sovereign decision of Brazil to allow the Marca and the Dina to dock in February uh, and their subsequent departure uh, on March 4th uh, was deeply uh, disappointing. Uh, we'll continue to discuss the importance of responding to Iran's um, efforts to destabilize its neighbors, to export violence, to oppress its own people um, with all of our partners around the hemisphere. Uh, and uh, I'm sure this will be a, a robust part of our conversations, not only with Brazil, but all the countries in our region. Well, I, I appreciate uh, all those remarks, but the question was, what are you going to do about this? I mean, we, we all know how bad Iran is and what they're doing. That's why they were sanctioned in the first place. But uh, um, we've, uh, we've sanctioned before on, uh, uh, on things like this. I mean, just talking about it, what, what good – let me ask this. What good does sanctioning do if you don't do anything about it when, uh, when actually the, uh, uh, a country like this uh, uh, takes the action it did? Well, as you note, Senator, uh, the two ships themselves have been sanctioned. Um, the United States does not discuss sanctions designations before they take place, um, but we will look at the facts set carefully uh, going forward. Uh, and as I've noted, we'll continue to talk to all of our partners in the hemisphere about the uh, noxious role that Iran plays in, uh, around the world. Well, I, I guess uh, if I was sitting in Iran, uh, I'd say the U.S. sanctioned us, so what? What, what do we care? I mean, it, this is a joke. I mean, uh, uh, they put out sanctions, and this is supposed to mean something. Nothing happens. We uh, sailed into uh, Brazil. We docked our ships, and it's business as usual. Uh, it, it just seems to me that uh, why bother doing this? In fact, if anything, I think it undermines us uh, by doing, doing something like this and then it, uh, not having any consequences. Well, I note that um, every other country in the hemisphere decided against receiving these ships. Fair uh, point. And Fair point. Um, that is, is not by accident. That's because we engaged every other country in the hemisphere to talk about uh, the risk that Iran poses, and we continue to have that conversation uh, with our, our friends and partners in Brazil. That, that's, a, that's a really good point, but it also undermines or it underlines the fact that uh, uh, not taking any action uh, is an indication that we're not going to do anything about it. If I was another country, I'd say, well, look, the U.S. asked, us, asked them not to dock. If they'd have docked here, we could have picked up a bunch of money and what have you. Uh, we agreed with the U.S. and didn't let them dock here, but they went to uh, Brazil and docked there, and the U.S. didn't do anything about it. Why, sh why should we do anything about it? You know, we look forward to... Uh Continuing our conversations around this topic um, with all of our partners, particularly with Brazil. And we have a number of high-level visitors from the administration going to Brazil. Um, and uh, I note that the chairman of this committee will also lead a delegation in Brazil. And I'm sure there will be uh, robust opportunities to discuss um, the importance of keeping our hemisphere free of the noxious Iranian influence. Uh, let, my time's short here, but let me uh, just uh, ask briefly. In January, Colombia halted eradication uh, of illicit uh, coca, and see, and, but seizures of her uh, heroin and cocaine have slowed down since August. 
Is it your opinion that Colombia is abiding by its uh, counter-narcotic uh, obligations? We have a robust dialogue uh, with the government of Colombia on counter-narcotics and rule of law issues. Uh, we believe that a holistic approach uh, is vital in Colombia, and that approach should include uh, interdiction, eradication, alternative development opportunities, um, care for the environment in rural areas, and opportunities uh, to support rural livelihoods. Uh, that process is ongoing. We have a, a high-level dialogue with Colombia that will take place um, later this month, uh, and we'll have an opportunity to address those issues and how important it is, not just for the United States, but for our entire region, uh, that strong cooperation uh, on counter-narcotics continue. Well, that, that's good talk, but can you tell us why Colombia halted eradication in January? President Petro said that he wished to reevaluate uh, the counter-narcotics policies of preceding administrations, and as part of that reevaluation, uh, he wanted to have a purely voluntary eradication policy. Uh, those discussions of how that would work are ongoing, uh, and uh, you know we believe that it is very difficult to succeed um, if there's no downward pressure on cultivation, um, and particularly before uh, a voluntary eradication program is up and running. Well, it sure seems to me that it'd be very difficult to argue that there isn't backsliding going on with that uh, very clear and simple uh, uh, thing that uh, they were doing to eradicate it, to, to just cease it, Sure seems like backsliding. My time's up. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Cardin. Uh, th thank you, Mr. Chairman. And let me thank both of our witnesses for their service to our country. Brazil is certainly a very important strategic partner for, for the United States. With the election of President Lula, it presents new opportunities. Uh, certainly going to be a change in direction in that country. And the question is, how do we deal with the changes that are occurring in Brazil to improve our strategic partnership uh, with the country. So, uh, Secretary Nichols, let me start with um, a comment you made, complimentary of Brazil's vote in the United Nations in regards to Ukraine. But the truth is that the Brazilians have not been supportive of a lot of the sanction issues in regards to Russia. So. Go over with me where our strategy is to improve the actions of Brazil to further isolate Russia in its brutal war against Ukraine. The February 10th joint statement uh, issued uh, when the two presidents met here in Washington uh, unequivocally condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It talked about the threat to food security that Russia's uh, invasion has presented. Uh, we continue to consult closely with Brazil in the United Nations and secured Brazil's support for uh, the February 28th resolution condemning Russia's invasion. Uh, we have uh, regular high-level engagement with our Brazilian partners. Uh, 
our uh, ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, will be traveling to Brazil um, uh, in a few weeks to discuss these issues with them. Uh, and I also look forward to visiting Brazil uh, soon. Let me sort of focus in on, it looks like the importation of fertilizer from Russia has had uh, an impact on Brazilians' willingness to support our sanctions. Uh, are we looking at that, trying to provide uh, a way in which we can further isolate Russia? Absolutely, Senator. Um, we uh, consult closely with Brazil on global food security issues, uh, and we work with them and others on looking at alternatives to the types of fertilizer imported from Russia, whether it be um, seeds that require less fertilizer, um, whether it be different types of fertilizers, uh, and we believe that um, severing or reducing that need for outside fertilizer is an important way of strengthening Brazil and um, limiting the influence of Russia on Brazil. So let me just underscore the point that Chairman Menendez did, uh, made on the environment and the Amazon, because I totally agree that uh, we have to be more aggressive in providing incentives for alternatives uh, on those who make their livelihood uh, an impact on the Amazon. But I, I want to spend my remaining two minutes on China. Uh, Brazil has an incredible amount of partnerships with China today. Uh, what is our game plan in order to try to minimize uh, China's influence in Brazil in our hemisphere? Uh, where are we working to get not just governmental uh, activities, but private sector activities that can counter what China is doing in these deals that they present that are usually too good to be true, and they're really not true, but it does give them a foothold in these countries. So we continue to follow our invest, align, compete strategy with regard to China globally. Um, that means investing in the United States, aligning our policies with key allies, uh, and competing uh, to demonstrate that the offers that uh, China puts on the table uh, are often false, uh, lead to high debt, and don't deliver the kinds of things uh, that the PRC promises. With regard to Brazil... So we, we hear that a lot, but the, unless there's alternatives available for the dealing with the needs, uh, China sometimes is the only player. Absolutely, Senator. The, uh, among the things we're doing is continuing to leverage the unprecedented levels of U.S. foreign direct investment in Brazil. It's $200 billion last year. Um, we're using the Development Finance Corporation, Export-Import Bank, um, USAID International, uh, sorry, the Inter-American Foundation uh, as ways to help promote alternatives um, to Chinese investment. Uh, we're working on open radio access networks to compete with Chinese 5G. We're directing investments towards a critical minerals area to provide alternatives. Uh, and happy to discuss further um, areas because I think we're out of time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Senator Ricketts is next, and then Senator Shaheen is going to preside for a few minutes, and I'll be back after that. Senator Ricketts. Great. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. And uh, uh, thank both of you for uh, attending here today and joining us. Obviously, this is a very important relationship. Uh, my state of Nebraska, for example, is an agricultural state. We produce a lot of soybeans. Who else produces a lot of soybeans? Brazil, right? 
So it, uh, it's a very important relationship uh, for us. Um, so, Secretary Nichols, are territorial and integrity and sovereignty key tenets of the UN Charter? So does the Biden administration support Brazil's ascension to a permanent member status on the UN Security Council given its lack of support for uh, Ukrainian territorial integrity? Well, um, the government of Brazil voted in favor of the UN General Assembly resolution condemning Russia's invasion and also joined us in a uh, statement when the two presidents met uh, condemning it on February 10th as well. Uh, the United States supports the modest expansion uh, of unelected, uh, sorry, of elected members to the UN Security Council. Um, it is a conversation for each region to have as to which countries those would be. Um, but we believe that an expanded Security Council can more effectively represent global interests. But even though Brazil has come out and condemned the invasion, they haven't been exactly supportive, right? They rebuffed. German Chancellor's attempts to get ammunition to be able to help Ukraine defend itself, correct? Uh, President Lula has met virtually with President Zelensky. Um, and again, the, Brazil has voted to condemn Russia's invasion in the United Nations, um, as well as some United Nations specialized bodies. The importance of working with Brazil on a whole host of issues uh, is crucial for the United States. And right now, Brazil uh, is a non-permanent elected member of the Security Council uh, until next year, and we're working closely with them in that fora. All right, great, thank you. So the Monroe Doctrine has been a cornerstone of uh, U.S. foreign policy for two centuries, uh, you know, warning other powers against interfering in the Western Hemisphere. And over the last two decades, what we've seen is China has been allowed extensive access to tighten its grip across Latin America, including Brazil. Uh, by the end of President Lula's first presidency in 2010, uh, Brazil-China trade had gone up from virtually none to $60 billion. And in 2009, China became Brazil's top trade partner, and Brazil received a record uh, deal of $7 billion from the China Development Bank for offshore development. In the decades since, China-Brazil economic ties have transformed and, in fact, um, Brazil accounts for 47% of China's foreign direct investment in Latin America, totaling more than $66 billion in 2010. There's obvious concerns that China will continue to leverage these economic ties to expand influence in the region. Earlier this month, the United States uh, Trade Representative Catherine Tai visited Brazil, where she emphasized the improving labor rights and environmental protections as common areas, interest in common areas for the United States. However, there seems to be little interest from the administration in negotiating far more ambitious trade agreements for making significant investments. Secretary Nichols, is the Biden administration doing enough to discourage countries like Brazil from pursuing investments from China and seeking trade with China? Should we be doing more to be able to develop that relationship? We're focused on demonstrating that the U.S. is the best partner for the countries around the region, uh, particularly Brazil. The United States is the largest source of foreign direct investment in Brazil, providing high-quality job opportunities and growth for the benefit of both of our peoples. Um, we see around the hemisphere that the promises that the PRC makes about the quality of its investments, about the debt associated with its investments, are false. I've been to numerous countries in this hemisphere and had people point out to me stadiums with 
problems in their construction, buildings with problems, highways that are falling apart, and hidden debts that countries didn't know that they were going to have to assume that are crushing the budgets. Telling the stories of these experiences and bringing others together to say, hey, you took this deal from China, tell your neighbor what your experience was. I think that, that makes a, a very compelling case. Uh, obviously, as a, Brazil is a sovereign country and they can make their own decisions, but I think we're putting on the table of the kind of financing, the kind of investment um, that will help both of our nations prosper and provide uh, a reliable, transparent uh, alternative to what the PRC has on offer. So are you concerned about what the PRC is doing, though, with regard to Latin America and Brazil? Absolutely. Uh, and I thank this body for the resources that you've recently appropriated to help us compete even more strongly uh, against the PRC. Great. Thank you, Secretary Nichols. Appreciate it. Um, thank you, Senator Ricketts. And thank you both for your testimony this morning. I, I want to follow up um, both Senator Ricketts and Senator Cardin's questioning on China because it has been said China has become Brazil's main economic partner in terms of trade, investment, and finance. And it's curious to me that it's still the only country in Latin America that has not joined China's Belt and Road Initiative, which says to me that there's still lots of opportunity for the United States to step up in ways that we haven't so far in terms of investment. And so, Secretary Nichols, um, do you think that's an accurate assessment, that there is more opportunity? And what, what can we do to encourage um, U.S. investment? You mentioned a number of the public entities that can provide resources, but are there ways that we could also encourage private, the private sector to do more to invest in Brazil? Uh, thank you, Senator. I absolutely agree. I think that the one, the the United States is the largest source of foreign direct investment in Brazil, but we need to redouble those efforts. I think um, U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Tai's recent visit uh, and the, the rejuvenation, the reinvigoration uh, of our agreement on trade and economic cooperation uh, is an important step to doing that. Under Secretary for Economic, Business, and Environment Affairs, Jose Fernandez, will be traveling um, later in the month to Brazil to continue those conversations. Uh, Ambassador Bagley in country is very much focused on strengthening uh, our economic relations with Brazil. It's a large, vibrant market. Um, they're uh, there are huge opportunities for American companies. One of the ways that those opportunities can be strengthened uh, is uh, regulatory harmonization, and that'll be among the things that we talk about with Brazil. Well, thank you. I would also point out that there's legislation, Greater Exports to Africa Act, that I'm co-sponsoring along with other members of this committee that would require a strategy to increase trade to Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean by at least 200% over the next 10 years. So I hope we will also think about a, a more directed strategy to do this. Um, Mr. Duke, following Special Envoy Kerry's trip to Brazil last month, can you talk about what was identified either there or as we're thinking about the best opportunities to partner with Brazil to address climate change and um, the destruction of the Amazon? Thank you, Senator Shaheen, for the question. When we look at the global climate challenge, 
very high on the list is stopping deforestation in the Amazon region and in other tropical forest regions, including in the DRC and in Indonesia. And in the case of Brazil, we are eager to partner with the Lula administration to build on their track record of prior success in reducing deforestation over 80% in their prior administration uh, over a decade ago. And we see that the deforestation rates over the last four years in Brazil really skyrocketed. And there's an opportunity now in partnership with President Lula and his impressive team to reverse that and to decisively slow and end deforestation together. There's a range of cooperation that we have initiated through our climate change working group now that President Lula and President Biden uh, urged us to uh, propel this year and that we have now uh, put on a fast track with our visit uh, uh, just a few weeks ago um, under a Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, Kerry's leadership. And that includes working on the bioeconomy. It includes working on productive and low carbon agriculture. It includes directly tackling deforestation through measures around enforcing against uh, illegal activities like illegal mining in the Amazon region. And it includes mobilizing support from a range of other governments, uh, from the private sector, and from uh, also philanthropy to make sure that the uh, Lula team has the opportunity to create uh, different pathways for uh, the people that live in the Amazon region instead of illegal activities. And so we're optimistic about the overall approach. And so when we talk about those alternatives to illegal activities, are we talking about trying to help them identify resources that will allow them to um, provide support for people who are faced with that choice? Yeah, thank you, Senator. Yes, when it, uh, it is the case, of course, that Brazil is a... Um, uh, uh, upper uh, middle income country according to the World Bank overall. But when you look right. at the people that live in the Amazon region, uh, it's often very marginal economic activity that we're talking about there and uh, people that are really struggling just to get by. And so they turn to illegal activities like mining or like uh, marginal agriculture on deforested or degraded lands. And so what we seek to do and seek to engage with uh, Congress regarding is to mobilize support uh, to allow for Brazil to enforce its own laws and to provide economic opportunity for the people living in the Amazon region and manage the Amazon region in a more effective manner. And so is there a price tag on what you're looking at? Well, Senator, thank you for the question. Uh, I think it is fair to say that it is a uh, major climate imperative to address deforestation in the Amazon. It's a major biodiversity imperative. Right. It I has agree with ramifications. That. So it is a, a it is a, uh, let's just say that the kinds of proposals that have been advanced uh, recently, we think are commensurate with the scale of the opportunity and the challenge in the, in the Brazilian Amazon. Okay, so I assume there is a cost, but we don't know what it is yet. Well, Senator, if I could uh, indicate, it is certainly um, going to be something that uh, needs to be in the seven-figure range over time and where we'll be needing to uh, mobilize across uh, resources that we hope to work with Congress to secure, but also from these other sources, other governments and uh, the private sector, philanthropy, and other uh, stakeholders that can contribute. Thank you. Senator Young. Thank you, Chairman. Secretary Nichols, I, I appreciate you being here today to uh, discuss a number of 
issues uh, surrounding our bilateral relationship with Brazil. Farmers and manufacturers in my home state of Indiana depend uh, quite a bit on, on uh, market access to ensure they can continue to grow and, and stay relevant in this uh, globalized um, world in which we live. Brazil's our 14th largest trading partner and uh, therefore presents a real opportunity to forge new trading relationships, but also to address issues like Brazil's history of, of tariff barriers on uh, things like uh, ethanol and a wide range of, of commodities like corn and soybeans. Over the past few months, the administration has announced a number of efforts to support trade, but unfortunately, the common theme is that market access is off the table. Uh, Ambassador Tai has launched the America's Partnership for Economic Prosperity to increase cooperation on trade in the Western Hemisphere, but it excluded Brazil. The administration's also announced an effort to strengthen trade ties through the U.S.-Brazil Agreement on Trade and Economic Cooperation, but details have not been transparent. Secretary Nichols, I, I realize we don't have a representative of USTR here. That's a problem with the administration's doing. These are public hearings. I, I certainly will presume that they could contact the committee if they had an interest in, in having their voice heard on this uh, in, important issue. Uh, so I'll ask you, uh, how would American farmers and businesses benefit from increased trade with Brazil under the U.S.-Brazil Agreement on Trade and Economic Cooperation? Thank you, Senator Young. The opportunities to strengthen our trade with Brazil uh, are wide and, and varied. Um, I note that uh, Ambassador Tai's visit um, was one of the uh, came early in the Lula administration and reflects our desire to have a strong trade relationship and open up markets and opportunities for American farmers and businesses. Uh, as I noted, uh, Undersecretary Jose Fernandez will soon follow that. Um, Undersecretary Fernandez is the State Department's lead on uh, America's Partnership for Economic Prosperity. Uh, when the initial 11 countries were discussing uh, APEP. Uh, we, um, uh, we were in the midst of Brazil's election, so this is an opportunity to engage with them uh, now that they're, they have a new government. Uh, I believe that uh, as we look at opportunities across different sectors, um, American uh, private sector, uh, agriculture, We'll see benefits in different commodity yeah. exchanges, farm equipment, uh, where we continue to have a robust presence, manufacturing, uh, services, and technology. Well, yeah, you've listed a lot of things. You've, you've alluded to market uh, opportunities that exist there, and, and uh, I, I just really question whether we're going to have much success uh, uh, gaining substantial market share anywhere where without offering you know, reciprocal access uh, to other countries. It just sort of stands to reason. Um, but I wish the administration continued success there uh, while offering a lot of encouragement to rethink that anti-trade position. Um, <clears throat> Secretary Nichols, ag production uh, has experienced a, a lot of growth in Brazil, leading the nation to become a top exporter of commodities. This is partly, I think there's some lessons to be learned from Brazil because of their favorable regulatory system for biotech 
approvals. In fact, Brazil is the second largest producer of biotech crops in the world, uh, right behind the United States. As you may know, 90% of corn in the U.S. is considered genetically mod modified, and this has proved challenging with our close neighbor in the region, Mexico. Mexico's decrees to phase out and to ultimately ban genetically modified corn is going to have rippling implications throughout uh, their own market, uh, but also uh, throughout our global supply chains and export markets, hurting uh, American and Brazilian farmers alike. The U.S., I think you would agree, uh, must pursue science-based approaches with our trading partners. Otherwise, we risk losing market access uh, mar and market share that can't be easily replicated. So I'm going to ask you what I hope will be a, a yes or no response. Do you think that science should play a key role in establishing trade policies with our partners? Yes or no? Yes. Thank you. And what are the implications to global commodity markets should Mexico's decree to ban GMO corn be implemented? Well, I know that it would have a, a significant negative effect on food security in Mexico. Um, and it, it's vital for our partners around the world, particularly in a time of climate change, to use the um, seed types that uh, are resilient to climate shocks, um, are proven safe by thousands of studies, um, and provide opportunity for farmers uh, in our country and around the world uh, to produce a, even under more challenging conditions, whether it's greater floods or greater droughts. I completely agree. Uh, which is why we need to do whatever we can working with our counterparties in, in other countries to uh, ensure that they, uh, they break down barriers to uh, GMO products, uh, that we can produce more, innovate more, and uh, ultimately feed the world. This is how we're going to uh, do it. Thank you, Chairman. Senator Haggerty. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Assistant Secretary Nichols, welcome. It's good to see you again today. Uh, while the subject of the hearing today is Brazil, I'd like to take my time today to ask you some questions about another country of your responsibility, and that's Mexico. I think you and I are going to be on the same page today, but I just want to make sure with a few questions. Last Thursday, Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador threatened to directly interfere in future U.S. elections. AMLO said this, I'm going to quote, if they do not change their attitude and think that they're going to use Mexico for their propaganda, electoral, and political purposes, we're going to call for them, meaning Mexicans and other Hispanics. We're going to call for them not to vote for that party. Assistant Secretary Nichols, does the State Department oppose foreign interference in U.S. elections? Just a yes or no answer would be fine. Yes, Senator. I appreciate that. Does the State Department condemn AMLO's threat to interfere in future U.S. elections? Just as we respect Mexico's sovereignty. We ask that President Lopez Obrador respect U.S. sovereignty. I certainly agree with that. Earlier this month, Mexican drug cartels kidnapped four American citizens and murdered two of them. Assistant Secretary Nichols, does the State Department condemn the murder of Americans by drug cartels? Absolutely, Senator, and the protection of American citizens around the world is our highest priority. I uh, appreciate that. After these tragic murders of American citizens, the Mexican president publicly claimed, and I quote, Mexico is safer than the United States. 
there is no issue with traveling safety, safely through Mexico. Yet last month, the State Department issued a level four do not travel warning for many parts of Mexico. Assistant Secretary Nichols, does the State Department agree with AMLO's claim here that Mexico is safer than the United States? Well, uh, we don't want to get into direct comparisons with the United States, but I'll note that um, it is vital that we work together with the Mexican government to improve security for the benefit of Mexicans and the benefit of Americans who wish to visit Mexico. Um, obviously, um, those who suffer the most from the cartel violence in Mexico are its own citizens. I understand. And My we are primary committed right now is, to is with cooperating with them yes. uh, to attack those cartels. Uh, the U.S. intelligence community has reportedly estimated that Mexican drug cartels control more than 20% of Mexican territory. The cartels also control large swaths of terrain across our southern border. These cartels are responsible for facilitating, for facilitating the passage of a record number of illegal migrants into the U.S. and almost all of the illicit drugs that come across that border. So my next question for you is, is it the State Department's position that the government of President Lopez Obrador should do more to counter drug cartels operating in Mexico? It's vital that we redouble our efforts under the Bicentennial Framework to cooperate to attack the cartels, to take down the networks that traffic in drugs, people, uh, My question, precursors. Assistant Secretary, is should President Lopez Obrador be doing more to counter the drug cartels in Mexico? We should all be doing more. I, I agree with that, too. President Lopez Obrador said that uh, Mexico does not produce fentanyl. In particular, AMLO said, here, we do not produce fentanyl. That's a direct quote from him. Assistant Secretary Nichols, is fentanyl produced in Mexico? Fentanyl is produced in Mexico. Uh, ab absolutely. So AMLO, are AMLO's comments accurate or are they inaccurate? Mexico receives chemical precursors from around the world. Those precursors are used to produce fentanyl in, in Mexico. In Mexico. I think it's quite clear that these cartels have flourished because the Lopez Obrador government has made a deliberate choice not to take them on. President Lopez Obrador also continues to take arbitrary and punitive actions against U.S. businesses in Mexico, including threats of expropriation. You and I have talked about this before. I should add that we're seeing a similar disturbing dynamic against U.S. businesses in other Western Hemisphere countries, including Honduras, which, as of last night, I understand, is pivoting away from Taiwan, apparently preparing to recognize communist China. Do you agree, Assistant Secretary, that these threats against American businesses are unacceptable? The promotion and defense of uh, free markets, access for American business uh, is a priority for this administration. And we believe that uh, American jobs and American investment and, and trade uh, are beneficial for countries around the hemisphere, not just the United States. Well, I look forward to working with you. This committee, I'm certain, looks forward to working with the State Department to lock arms to right the ship with respect to election security here in America, with respect to the safety of Americans traveling in Mexico, with respect of cartels that are committing human and drug trafficking that are impacting our country, and certainly dealing with these expropriation threats coming from Mexico. So thank you. I look forward to working with you, Assistant Secretary Nichols. Likewise. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Chairman of the Western Hemisphere Subcommittee, Senator King. With uh, a lot of hearings going on, and I know that there's a vote underway, and many of the questions that I wanted to ask, I was just chatting, I think have been covered pretty well. But I, I expect to introduce a bill soon to help strengthen the U.S.-Brazil 
rule of law cooperation in support of protecting the Brazilian Amazon, uh, which will be critical to attracting greater and more sustainable investment in the region. So to you, uh, Mr. Duke, if we're serious about deepening, deepening the partnership with Brazil, environmental cooperation is a really important way to do that. Um, it's very good to see the administration plan to commit financial resources to the Amazon Fund, but do you believe the amount is sufficient and what are other steps uh, that we can take to deepen this uh, U.S.-Brazil partnership on the Amazon? Thank you, Senator Kane. And we share your concern with this issue. When we look at what's required on climate change, stopping deforestation in the Amazon is very high on that list. And it also is important for agricultural systems, including potentially our own agricultural systems, due to the way that the health of the Amazon reverberates in the whole region, in the whole hemisphere. And we want to ensure that whatever we do, we support the Lula administration in replicating and even extending its prior success in reducing deforestation in the Amazon region, since they previously cut deforestation rates over 80%, and they're committed now to working quickly to end deforestation and illegal activities in the Amazon region. To do that, though, does require resources, and it requires substantial resources for results-based approaches like the Amazon Fund, for broader approaches that can be involving the private sector, and we are committed to working with partner governments and with Congress and with the uh, private sector in order to get the job done. I, I understand my colleagues have significantly raised the issue of concern about uh, Brazilian-Iranian relations, and I, I'm appreciative that colleagues have raised that, and hopefully we'll be able to do that uh, soon in person uh, during a, a visit that many of us hope to take soon. Um, and I also know that there has been uh, questions asked and discussion about the need to backstop and promote uh, democracy in Brazil, a, a, a populous nation, a global leader in so many ways. Uh, they saw what so many other nations, including the United States, have seen. Um, I, I grew up uh, and had the opportunity to work in Honduras as a missionary in 1980 and 81, and it was a military dictatorship. And I sort of grew familiar with the fact because it, it caused me to rethink my own na naivete that an awful lot of people in the world live under authoritarians. I just didn't think we would see that impulse here at home. But what we've seen in recent years was a little bit different than the sort of dictatorship that I was familiar with. What we've seen is this tendency of people to come into office via democratic means, but then to try to unwind the democratic institutions that, that protect democracy, rule of law, free press, independent judiciary, um, and, and that was obviously a tremendous problem with the previous administration uh, in Brazil. Uh, you see it in Turkey, you see it in El Salvador, you see it all around. You saw it on January 6th here at the Capitol, efforts to, to undermine democracies um, by weakening the institutions that guard them. And I do believe that Brazil and the United States can, can work together. I know my colleagues have raised that as a priority, and I know each of you are committed to that. With that, Mr. Chair, I yield back. Thank you, Senator Kane. Some final questions. I understand uh, President Bolsonaro gutted Brazil's environment and indigenous ministries and replaced important officials with military personnel with no conservation experience. Uh, is, are we doing anything to support President Lula's efforts to adequately staff the ministries tasked with combating deforestation? 
either one of you who has an answer. So um, Brazil has a wealth of expertise in these areas. Uh, and President Lula has uh, traveled uh, here to meet with the president with his Minister of Environment, Marina Silva. Um, and Special Envoy Kerry met with her uh, during uh, his trip to the region. Uh, and we believe that they bring a very strong, strong team to the table to address these issues. And we stand ready to work with them and support them in their efforts. Okay. Do we, uh, do we, uh, are we committed to engaging subnational actors who are working to preserve Brazil's vitally important forest resources? Mr. Duke? Yep. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> yes, and I'll add in regards to your last question around indigenous communities in Brazil, that when uh, Special Presidential Envoy for Climate Kerry was in Brasilia, he did meet also with uh, Minister Gujajara, who's in the new Minister for Indigenous Communities in Brazil. And we have, over uh, the last two years in our office, met uh, multiple times with stakeholders focused on human rights and uh, economic welfare of the uh, indigenous communities in Brazil. So we'll continue to engage on that. Uh, in, in regards to staffing, uh, we uh, recognize that Brazil has the capacity that Assistant Secretary Nichols just referred to, and we are seeking through this partnership with other governments, uh, philanthropy, the private sector, to help Brazil with resourcing its overall efforts to end deforestation and illegal activities in the Amazon, including through the Amazon Fund and other results-based approaches. And that should help with staffing as well. So I take from your answer that we are prioritizing the inclusion of indigenous communities to ensure their voices are also front and center in our Amazon deforestation prevention efforts. Yes, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Absolutely. And we see in the Amazon Fund itself uh, structured engagement of uh, indigenous communities as part of how uh, that mechanism works. And we expect that any work we do in partnership with Brazil and supportive of Brazil's objectives to end de deforestation and illegal activities in the Amazon region will centrally involve indigenous communities. Uh, in addition to having vast rainforest and terrestrial biodiversity, Brazil has a sprawling coastline, almost twice the length of the United States. As a champion of Save Our Seas, the 2.0 Act, and a follow-on that we are in the midst of working, uh, we cannot forget about our oceans. Um, how are we engaged uh, with Brazil uh, on uh, efforts, for example, to combat plastic pollution? And also, is Brazil concerned about China's overfishing uh, in their territorial waters? So we have a robust dialogue with Brazil uh, on uh, maritime and ocean issues, uh, particularly our cooperation in the South Atlantic. Uh, illegal, uh, unregulated, unlicensed fishing is a threat to all of the countries uh, it, with oceans in our hemisphere. Uh, and obviously the presence of large Chinese commercial fishing fleets um, just off uh, the territorial waters of the countries uh, in South America is a major problem, and they turn off their transponders, and then who knows where they do, go. Do the Brazilians, they'll see that as, as a problem? Uh, I don't know what Brazil's specific position is on that topic, but I can look into that and get back to you. I would, I would appreciate that, because I, I know that they're dealing with China economically, but 
here they're, uh, China's overfishing these territorial waters in a way that is tremendous consequence economically, tremendous consequence in terms of biodiversity in the region. Lastly, and then I'll turn to Senator Van Hollen. Uh, you know, uh, Brazil is the second Latin American country to be designated as a major non-NATO ally. And since 2018, the United States has committed uh, nearly $6 million to help reinforce security, defense cooperation, and the rule of law. In particular, we've invested in efforts to bolster, uh, to bolster law enforcement cooperation, strengthen information sharing, counterterrorism, cyber crime, financial crimes, trafficking of narcotics and weapons. So. Going back to the ranking members' questions on the docking of Iranian ships, uh, what, are, what can we do to enhance security cooperation between Brazil and the United States under President Lula? Well, we look forward to the U.S.-Brazil defense dialogue later this year as an opportunity to discuss our uh, defense cooperation uh, and defense relations with Brazil. Brazil is a global leader in peacekeeping historically, and that role uh, is important uh, and one that we uh, support. Uh, the opportunities for um, commercial uh, sales of um, U.S. weapon systems to Brazil is something that I think we should explore uh, more deeply. Uh, and uh, to continue exchanges between uh, our law enforcement and our militaries. Uh more likely or less likely to have Brazil's help in countering China's authoritarianism and its aim in the Western Hemisphere? I think that we need to have a dialogue based on values with Brazil and talk about what are the values we'd like to see in our hemisphere. And I know that President Lula strongly supports democracy and human rights, and we hope that we can work to promote those values throughout our region. Uh, okay doesn't answer my question. More likely or less likely to stand up to dictators and autocrats in the Western Hemisphere? Brazil has uh, condemned the actions of uh, uh, Nicaragua, for example, and the stripping of the citizenship uh, of uh, those who oppose the brutal uh, Ortega-Murillo regime. Uh, and I hope that uh, Brazil will continue to speak out uh, against human rights abuses in our region. Senator Van Hollen. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Thank both of you for your testimony and for your service. Um, Ambassador Nichols, uh, I know we've covered a lot of territory uh, at this hearing. I want to underscore some of the issues that have been raised by my colleagues, and then I have a few questions. Uh, one, uh, we were, of course, all alarmed by the images um, of the attacks on democracy uh, in Brazil uh, following uh, Bolsonaro's uh, exit. Uh, I understand that um, you've not commented on the question of whether or not uh, the current government has asked for an extradition of uh, Bolsonaro. I think we probably want to follow up on that question. Uh, deforestation, uh, I know when President Lula came in, uh, he pledged that he was going to reverse the previous um, administration's policy, which led to just clear cutting uh, and destruction of huge swaths of, of rainforest. Uh, but so far, uh, the, the numbers don't indicate that they've turned the corner in any way. And so I hope, more than expressing concern, we work with the Brazilians on a strategy uh, going forward. It seems we need, we need a plan and look forward to following up with you and 
um, your colleagues, uh, Mr. Dole, on, on the plan. Um, my questions are, are these. Um, number one, uh, you've referenced a couple times the role Brazil can play in critical minerals. Uh, and as you know, we're working to try to develop a partnership uh, among like-minded countries, um, non-authoritarian countries, uh, to secure a good supply of critical minerals, not just for ourselves, but for, for all the countries as part of the partnership. What specific role uh, would Brazil play in that, in that effort? Uh, second, uh, and this is a little bit of a follow-on to the chairman's question, uh, Brazil is, of course, uh, the B in the BRICS, uh, along with Russia, uh, India, China, and South Africa. Uh, there is going to be a summit uh, in South Africa, I think in August. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about Brazil's role within BRICS and whether they provide a, a balance uh, to the authoritarian members of BRICS, namely uh, China and, and Russia? How do, how, does that, how do you see them balancing those roles? So critical minerals role in BRICS. Brazil is a country with important critical mineral resources, uh, and the United States, through Development Finance Corporation, has promoted U.S. investment in uh, mining in that sector. Um, Brazil is an important producer uh, of automobiles and other uh, technologies that benefit from critical minerals. Uh, the uh, supply chain opportunities for both of our countries are enormous. I think that uh, we will see even greater U.S. investment in the sector going forward. Uh, I noted earlier that Undersecretary Jose Fernandez will be traveling to Brazil um, in a couple weeks, and this will certainly be a topic as he also leads the State Department's efforts uh, in the Critical Minerals Initiative. Uh, and this uh, I consider a win-win for both countries. With regard to BRICS, uh, President Lula was uh, one of the founders of, of BRICS and, and a real power when it started uh, under his first term in office. Uh, he has a unique opportunity to talk about the values of democracy and engagement with um, the other members of BRICS. He has an opportunity to uh, talk about what kind of a, a world we want to see in the future. Is it acceptable that one country should invade its neighbor just because it's bigger. Uh, and uh, I look forward um, to uh, his engaging on those issues. Uh, I know that he will play an important uh, role in the global stage. Uh, and this is a time where values matter. Well, I certainly uh, hope, hope he will do that um, in, in partnership uh, with his allies, um, you know, United States and others. Obviously, we're, we're not part of BRICS, but I hope he will be a, that voice uh, at the table, given the other uh, other countries who are part of that. So, is the do I understand you to say the DFC has put down an investment with respect to critical minerals in in Brazil? Yes, Senator Van Hollen, uh, twice. Uh, we initial investment, and then they increased the investment, uh, and uh, now actually mining operations have begun, and they're producing. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. With our thanks to both of you for your testimony, the record for this hearing will remain open until the close of business on Thursday, March 16th, 2023. Please ensure that questions for the record are submitted no later than Thursday, and this hearing is adjourned.